hope. Gotta give him hope. Tear down walls of ignorance and narrow-mindedness, for nothing has to stay as it is. We live in an interdependent world, which is bound together to a common justice. And I know in my heart that man is good, that what is right will always eventually triumph. When will we, as world leaders across the world, address the pressing issues that are truly causing our people angst and worry? Hello, listeners. Welcome back to A Political Hope, the podcast exploring how to get the courageous, ethical and trusted politicians we need for the 21st century. I'm Kimberly MacArthur and I'm COO at the Apolitical Foundation. In this episode, my colleague Rebecca Eisen speaks to South African journalist Khadija Patel about how to develop and maintain a news media that works for the public interest and also about the role politicians have in that vital goal. For me, what I want all politicians to assert is the value of news media even when it is at their own personal expense. Khadija is the chairperson of the International Press Institute and head of programs at the International Fund for Public Interest Media. She's known for her tenacious reporting as one of the co-founders of the Daily Vox and former editor-in-chief of South Africa's well-known Mail and Guardian. Khadija has a different working relationship with politicians than many of our guests, it's safe to say. But we wanted to talk to her because we see the dynamic between politicians and the media as a challenge for the work we're doing to cultivate courageous, ethical and trusted politicians. Your ability to tell your story constantly has to be embedded in your makeup as a successful politician. Khadija's work is focused on saving the news media. But in this interview, she also talks about how we might reimagine a relationship between journalists and politicians. This episode was produced at the 2022 Athens Democracy Forum in partnership with the Democracy and Culture Foundation. Khadija was actually a bit ill while we were recording, and so we're very grateful she took the time to do the podcast. Some of you might know that Rebecca started her career as a journalist in Australia, and she references some of the experience in this episode. I really hope you enjoy this discussion, and if you do, help us get the word out by rating, subscribing, and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. And with that, here's a discussion with South African journalist Khadija Patel. Seeing as you're at this Fund for Public Interest Media, what does public interest media look like? So it's an interesting question because I think that for many people it means many different things. For us, we have a particular definition of public interest media. We've tried to define it, and I think that it is a dynamic definition. But at its heart, what we believe public interest media is, or public interest journalism is, it's journalism, it's media that exists to inform the public for the public's sake and not for the sake of any political commercial interest. So it is journalism that is embedded in the public interest and not in the interest of any one politician or any one faction or any one commercial gain this way or the other. It is all about how do we understand each other better? That is, I think, the fundamental question that journalism seeks to answer. That has many vagaries, of course, but at its heart, when you strip it down to its absolute basics, it's about the very human need for us to understand what is happening around us and for us to understand who we are in relation to the other. And that really is what public interest journalism does. 
how do you do that in an environment where, you know, journalism costs money? It yep. costs good money. Yeah. yeah. So I think that we certainly don't believe that there is some kind of utopia where journalism can be divorced entirely from trying to make money. I think that's actually silly and stupid. And actually with the International Fund, we're trying to ensure that markets work toward the functioning of media. What we have at the moment, however, is a broken business model. The market has completely failed for media. So when we're saying for financial or corporate interest and how that affects the public interest nature, it's not that, you know, there might be advertising that is sold against piece of journalism or exists next to it, but rather that in many, many markets, in many, many contexts, what many journalists have had to do and what many editors, publishers have had to do is basically sell out seems a harsh word, but basically sell out the principles of independence in favor of financial interests. So you do this because you know that's how you're going to be able to get paid. You know, there's this politician or this corporate or, you know, that will be, you know, we're paying you. In much of Africa, especially West Africa, for example, Rebecca, you'll be interested to know that many journalists actually don't get paid. You know, they don't get paid a salary because and they can go months and months and months without getting paid a salary. And so there's a culture of what we call brown envelope journalism. And that's become, you know, it's embedded within the culture of how journalism is done, where corporates, even large multilateral organizations, which I won't name, you know, when they want their particular programs or their particular strategies to be covered, they know that the only way to do it is to give a journalist a brown envelope. So for us sitting here in Athens, you know, it's easy to scoff at that and absolutely rebuke that. But how do we actually fix that? How do we actually ensure that, first of all, that journalists are getting paid, that they don't have to resort to that? How do we dismantle that culture? So I think that the public interest bit of journalism, when it, you know, vis-a-vis finances and vis-a-vis commercial interests is really, really interesting. There's a lot to unpack there. I believe that there is, and the fund believes, that there is a space in which journalism can exist within a market without being tainted by that market as well. Now I want to move into what role politicians can play in a public interest media. So just to give you some background, a political foundation is trying to cultivate courageous, ethical, and trusted politicians. So what role do you think that politicians would ideally have to play in public interest media? So I think, first of all, for politicians to understand that even when journalists and the media are ostensibly against you, when perhaps they have uncovered something critical of you, they are still your friends because it is in your best interest to ensure that the community you serve has access to good information. For me, what I want all politicians to assert is the value of news media even when it is at their own personal expense. It is, for me, really, really important, especially for politicians, to move beyond the concept of media existing freely, beyond their own narrow ends. In order for you to be effective politicians, in order for you to be governing effectively, you need good information to reach people. And the media is crucial to that. I know, for example, in South Africa, some politicians are now saying, we don't need the media anymore. We have Facebook and we have Twitter and we can do this ourselves. This is true. But think about the algorithms and the people that you're going to reach. And at least with the media, you know that it's 
a human-centered connection, ultimately, which social media platforms don't allow, among other things. But I think that what I want politicians to understand is you have to assert the value of the media above all else and even above your own personal political ambition. I think that Sierra Leone right now is a really, really interesting case, maybe even for a political foundation to look at because mm. Sierra Leone quite recently came out of a really terrible conflict-ridden that has scarred that nation in many, many ways. It really doesn't have a vibrant media ecosystem as a function of various things, right? But most notably, the most recent war. But what has now happened is the government has come together and has brought together the entire ecosystem. So it's brought together publishers, the United Nations, it's brought together funders, and they've basically created this consortium of organizations that are looking at the future of news media in the country hmm. to actually understand how will a media system be developed because that's the first thing. It is terrifically underdeveloped. And I think that kind of, and this is a government that faces an election next year, mid next year. So they might not even be here to benefit from this. But I think the fact that they are thinking. That's something that we're trying to do in general. We're trying to look at how do we maybe even select from the start and then prepare or train people to be politicians that are reform-minded. So that means that they could even end up putting in reforms that ultimately don't personally serve them. So it's really, really frustrating for me, you know, when I speak to politicians and the first thing that they want to talk about is, oh, but you're always writing against me, right? They get over it. Mm. You're a big boy, right? It's not about you, but it's about the people that media serve. And please don't misunderstand me. The media is not perfect, not by a long shot. We need to keep improving. But I think that for politicians, that is the first thing to understand is that without a free press, democracy does not exist. Mm. But I do think that there is an argument to be made, at least in the countries that I've been a part of, that less so Germany, I have to say, that the relationship between politicians and media is a little bit broken both ways in that sometimes politicians seem to be absolutely pilloried for something that's relatively small. And other times they seem to get away with something that yeah. seems quite big. And so can you imagine a new relationship between politicians and journalists? What would you want it to kind of look like? I want it to be based in honesty, right? And mutual respect. If journalists and politicians are friends, then we have a problem. We're not going to be friends, mm. right? But respect your ability to do the job that you do when you do it well, and you respect my job when I do it well. So for me, it's really just to understand as well, you know, it's the basic thing, understand why the media exists, right? And how it can be better. Engaging in communication and being invested in the future of media, that's something that I want politicians to do as well. And I think that especially the kind of politicians that might be coming through your academies, for example, I would really, really like them to be invested in the future of news media because it requires political support. It really, really does. It's not just the problem of news media. It is fundamentally a political problem as much as it is a financial problem. I really like politicians to be invested in that. More broadly, gosh, there's so many things in my ideal world, you know, mm -hmm. what I would like 
But really, I just want them to be engaged, right? I think that to also understand sometimes, I've only worked as a journalist in South Africa, right? So for me, the politicians that actually get the best press, you know, I'm basically putting that in inverted commas, are those that actually answer their phones or actually have communications personnel who actually are communicative. Because there's so many stories that actually, you know, we hear one thing, right? We go off on a tangent investigating it and then think we have a story. And then when you actually don't answer your phone or refuse to answer questions, you don't have the opportunity to correct us mm-hmm. because it might just be a simple explanation and we've just gone down a rabbit hole that we ought not to have and there's just a simple explanation for all of it. You know, it's just the importance of communication as well that is really important. And just for politicians to understand, it's all about your ability to tell your story constantly has to be embedded in your makeup as a successful politician. Mm-hmm. You have to constantly be able to tell your story daily, not just when you're campaigning. To be effective, you need to be able to tell your story. You know, it's telling the people around you by telling the people that you serve as well, why you've done this, why you've not done that. I would also like to see a fair distribution of that information. I understand why politicians have their journalists that they go to every time because they're favorable. But if you want to go for democracy, you have to go beyond that. You can't be just feeding the one journalist constantly because then we have the problem. And I have seen this in Australia where everyone in the press gallery does have to be mates with politicians in order to get information. I think that you've touched on something really, really important. I don't know that we can untangle that in a day, in a month or in a year. But I think if we have to think about the best to come out, because what I keep saying is we're not fighting for media to be as good as it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. We want a better media to emerge out of this crisis, Mm -hmm. right? And when we think about a better media, I think that we have to cast a light also on some of our practices. And, you know, I can't advocate for politicians to be one way or the other. I mean, I would hope that they could, but I can advocate, I feel like, in my position for journalists to try to do things differently. But in order to get that right, You know, we have to also think about competition in an interesting way in media, right? I think competition is really, really important. I think when media are competitive, you know, we're pushed to go further. But I think that there are some instances where competition, at least the idea of competition, of landing that splash. I was just about to say that. I think that we have to get rid of this culture of having to scoop each other. Yeah. That's so detrimental. Yeah. It should be informing as many people as possible rather than my newspaper which is behind a paywall got this particular story i'm going to kind of ask this as a question that i've already kind of asked but in a different way and just see if new things come up how do ethical politicians interact with the media an ethical politician is first of all respectful of the role of the media even when the media is asking them difficult questions even when the media is provoking them, perhaps that is the perception, even when the media is questioning them in ways that may be uncomfortable. What about when the media gets it wrong? I think then an ethical journalist will use the mechanisms around a free press to correct that on the record. So in South Africa, we have things like the Broadcasting Complaints Commission, we have things like the Press Council, 
these are bodies that are meant to ensure that journalists are basically kept honest. So to use these bodies to air your grievances there, if, you know, going to the editor does not do that, you know, if you feel you need a bigger recourse here, I think that taking that route is really, really important because those bodies exist for a reason. As an editor, it always annoyed the hell out of me to be going to the press council, right? Because in the many, many things that I have to do, did we have to do this? But actually, it's really important that we have that. It's a sign of a vibrant press. Mm-hmm. So I think that your ability to also use the mechanisms that exist. So to have an awareness, first of all, to help ensure that those mechanisms are robust and that they deliver and the remedy. A, and just to clarify, ethical politicians should be doing this. I think you said ethical journalists, but it's ethical oh, sorry. politicians that should go to these bodies. And also when they're working, they should be checking up, like, is our press infrastructure strong? Exactly. I think that's really, really important, right? Because a lot of politicians think that, oh, so you just, journalists just wake up today and write whatever you want. Actually, no, because, you know, I've got editors and I've got the press council. There are various bodies that I have to answer to. It's not like I'm just out there sprouting. And that's basically the difference between a journalist and someone just mouthing off on Twitter. Also, I think... I don't want to be alarmist, but I think that on this cause here, there is only cause for alarm. There is a great chance that media will not exist in 10 years' time. Mm. All our news in the world is likely to be controlled by a handful of billionaires. I think that in high-income countries, politicians have to ensure that there is financing for media. You spoke about Australia and some of the challenges working in Australia. After the kind of like that news bargaining code was implemented last year. I'm told by, I mean, independent researchers, the researchers at Columbia University in New York, who have just been there, that Australian press are hiring left, right, and center. I think all of us were very skeptical of that news bargaining code. Mm-hmm. Still have discomfort. But I think that that's proof that we need to do something and that politicians have the power to try to do something to ensure a more equitable field for news media vis-a-vis the tech companies. I think that what I'd like is that for politicians to assume the future of news media, like I said, as one of their core mandates. In order for us to fight climate change, in order for us to confront all of humanity's biggest problems, we need a vibrant press. It is the biggest problem that we face. So your ability to do something in your country, in your locality, I'm really, really not advocating for the news bargaining code everywhere, but something like that, some kind of regulation against the tech companies, some kind of investigation about how they operate at the expense of news media is essential. So I think that that's a really, really important to, and first of all, just understand it because I find so many politicians, Rebecca, who will just say like, oh no, I just don't understand how this stuff works. Make it your business to understand how it works because it's for your interests as well. So that's high-income countries, about middle and low. That's for all countries. But for high-income countries, I think that is also an opportunity here for you to ensure, I'm talking to politicians now, to ensure a global media ecosystem is healthy. And that is through understanding how your development aid budgets are spent. Currently around the world, 0.3% of development aid goes to news media development. The only country that spends more than 1% on development aid on media is Sweden. Countries like Germany and 
the UK say they spend more than 1%, but they're counting Deutsche Welle and BBC World Service in that. Yeah, that doesn't. That doesn't count, okay? So as the International Fund for Public Interest Media, alongside many, many other organizations, we're calling for high-income countries to dedicate 1% of ODA to media development. It's not that much. 1%, right? Like I said, cumulatively, we're currently at 0.3. We want to try to nudge that to 0.5 within the next five years. Even nudging it up to 0.5 would be a step change of hundreds of millions of dollars. Politicians in high-income countries have the power to impact those decisions, even if it's not your immediate jurisdiction. It is something that you can, you definitely have the power to have the conversations to make that known. Okay, I'm now going to ask you the questions that we kind of ask every guest. So first of all, I want to get you to give three main takeaways for the audience. Three main takeaways. Gosh, that's difficult. First of all, press freedom is sacrosanct. That's number one. The media must exist. Number two, the future of news media is in deep trouble. And unless we do something drastic very soon, the news media ecosystem, our information ecosystem will be completely broken. Number three, as terrible as the problem is, we have the resolve and we have the resources to confront it. Yeah. Okay, next question. What are you reading that we should also read or what have you read recently? This is a great question, actually. Do you know, I'm always really skeptical about Oprah books. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it turned out to be really interesting for me because it's called What Happened to You? Ah, yeah. I've been hearing the press about it. And it's really about how childhood trauma shapes us. So it's been really, really interesting for me personally, but also, you know, I've spoken a little bit about how South Africa is a deeply traumatized country. We live in a very violent society in South Africa. Very, very violent. It struck me the other day, I was speaking to a community radio station in Cape Town, and so they're telling me, Oh, you know, just this morning, you know, one of our journalists, you know, got attacked on the way to work. It's the third time this week. And that's the thing, like in South Africa, we're like, at least it wasn't worse. You know, like that level of violence is something that is really normal, right? But it's not, Mm -hmm. right? And it has shaped our psychologies in different ways. And this is layers and layers and layers of violence. So it was really, really interesting for me. Some of the stuff is a little reductive in the book, but it was really, really interesting. So I've just, just finished that. There was a book on my shelf that I found called, I'm going to bungle the name, so listeners should probably look at the name probably, but it's something about left-wing melancholia. So it's actually trying to look at the philosophy of leftism and why a lot of left-wing movements currently like feel quite despondent and, you know, what's the basis of that. So that's what I'm hoping to start reading today, tonight. Nice. Yeah. And final question. You've talked about, you know, the situation is quite dire in many respects with journalism. And obviously then there will be political implications to that. But I'm in the business of trying to ignite hope and possibility. There's always hope. So what is giving you political hope? Generally or with media? You can do either or. Or both. South Africa gives me hope, always. Make no mistake, we are a very troubled country. And even right now, the mood is really, really low because we're battling various crises. So most people are quite despondent generally. But I come from a country that has been through so much of shit 
Mm. Yeah. But we still laugh. That's the thing about South Africa, right? I really believe we are the funniest people in the world. I think that we are really, really funny. You know, some people say it's a function of our trauma, you know, that we make a joke out of everything. But I think that fact that the people of South Africa just get up and they do what they can every day. You know, the elders of my family, you know, have built lives amidst so much of difficulty and so many challenges. The women of my family are really my feminist icons, right, who've built businesses and reared families despite coming from homes. Both my grandmothers were illiterate. Yeah, I am a journalist speaking in Athens, right? So the power of education and its transformative potential for South Africa, that gives me hope. And that was our discussion with South African journalist Khadija Patel. Thank you for listening and daring to hope. Apolitical Hope is a podcast from the Apolitical Foundation. We'll be back with more from the changemakers helping politicians to serve people and the planet in the coming weeks. You can help us shift the discussion on what's possible in politics by sharing this episode with your friends and tagging us on social media. You'll find us on Twitter at Apolitical Found, on Facebook and Instagram at Apolitical Foundation, all one word, and LinkedIn at Apolitical Foundation, two words. It'd also be a huge help if you could rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get this podcast. Last, but definitely not least, we have a really great weekly briefing full of resources, tips, and jobs for people wanting to build better politics. You can subscribe to that in the show notes. It's a great way to join our network and keep up to date with our work. Much love, gratitude, and hope from me and the Apolitical Foundation team. Mm-hmm.